0: Okay, welcome to this special edition of the Taurus Chaim podcast in honor of Hanukkah. It is the first night of Hanukkah, and I figured we should spend some time discussing perhaps a little bit um, using the principle of Torah Chaim how Hanukkah applies to us in our everyday lives. One point of clarification, um, you said you figured, I just want to say that your wife Spent a lot of time convincing you, and then you figured. Yes, I, m- I meant more the Taurus Chaim component, but uh, okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Introduce yourself. Um, I am Elkhari Cohen, and this is my wife, Miriam Cohen. And uh, we are the Coens. And this is the Torah's Chaim podcast. And before we start, um, if you enjoy the Torah's Chaim podcast, please help us spread the word, share it with your friends and family, share it on any chats you may be on, and please take a minute to give us a reading so that others will discover the Torah's Chaim podcast as well. Okay. So unlike our typical weekly podcast, where it is very text-based and text-focused, um, this one is not going to really address any particular texts. There are actually some texts that can be discussed in terms of Hanukkah. For example, there is Megillus Antiochus. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Uh, only since we got married. You okay. told me about it. Um, so yeah. So there is Megillus Antiochus, which actually starts off, um, probably in a way that you're very familiar Why with. He be may. Yes. He be may Antiochus. Um, there is also Sefer HaMakabim, um, and there is, um, you know, texts, well, this wouldn't necessarily be a text study, but there are texts from Josephus and others that, that you can study. Um, but we're not going to take that direction. It's actually interesting, you know, the Gemara notes, um, that Esther is the last miracle that is recorded as part of Tanakh, as part of right. the written uh, Torah? Uh, and in fact, the Gemara initially says Esther is the last miracle. And the Gemara asks, "What about Hanukkah?" The Gemara right. says, "But Hanukkah was not uh, was not written down." So, even though we do have texts that were written down, as I just mentioned, Miguel Antiochus and Sefer Hamakabim. But um, those texts were not canonized. They weren't included in the Tanakh. Um, and um, that therefore gives them a very different status. Okay. Um, there's uh, actually an English word, Apocrypha, um, which refers to not so much Tanakh as the Bible and books that were not included in the Bible. Um There are many other books which we have either in the form of Midrashim or as Apocrypha. Um, For example, there is Sefer Shoshana, known as the Book of Susanna. Um, What's that? It's a Midrash. Um, There are other Midrashim as well, um, (coughs) some of which have more, I guess, reliability than others, since... Who's Shoshana? Is that a character I might be familiar with, her. No. Okay. um So, yeah. So, there are texts, but we're not going to examine them. And, and I think, to a certain degree, that's deliberate, because Hanukkah is not a text-based holiday, as we're being told. It is really a holiday that is part of the Torah Shabbat, Peh, part of the oral Torah component of Judaism. Um, that being said, um, you know, there are some questions to consider that will help us guide, help guide us along our path. Um, And I think the one that I would address first is the question of miracles nowadays. Um, So, you know, uh, in, in my, brief social media um, tour today. I saw a number of mentions of this idea of how Hanukkah is a time of miracles, and so we can expect miracles, etc. Now, it's important for us, it's important to note a couple things. First of all, you know, Ramban Nachman, in his commentary on the Torah, points out that if you make the calculation, Yocheved, Moshe's mother, Mm-hmm. Was over a hundred years old when he was born, because we have a tradition that she was born when Yaakov came down to Egypt. Oh, she was born between the walls, right? Between the walls. So if you follow that tradition, Moshe is born eighty years before the before the geula, before the redemption. So I mean, she has to have been over a hundred years old. They're down there for two hundred and ten years. She has to have been over right. 100 years old when she had Moshe as a child. So Ramban asks the question, so what's so special about Sarah having a child at the age that she does, the child Yitzchak? If Yocheved had is the same thing, older. and the Torah doesn't even mention. Right. You know? And the Ramban makes a very important point that th- when we talk about miracles in the Torah and Nisim in the Torah, what makes something a is, is the fact that it is predicted. It's not when something happens that defies the laws of nature as we know them. Because that happens relatively often. Right. You know, things happen and there's we're still uncovering and discovering new things about nature. You know, and as any magician can tell you, you know, there are many things that can be done that seem to defy the laws of nature but actually do not. So, what, what constitutes a miracle in the Torah and what the Torah discusses are things that are predicted. So, the fact that an angel came and told Sarah, you will have a child at age 90, which is not a typical occurrence, and he told her exactly when that child was going to be born, right? And sure enough, that is what happened. That is the miraculous element of it. That's one thing to note. Those types of miracles don't exist anymore. Um, In fact, pretty much since the Second Temple period, we have not seen miracles of that sort. The last kind of miracle that we saw, not even of that sort, but excuse me, the last national supernatural miracle that we experienced was Hanukkah. That was the last one. Um, um, and in fact, Hanukkah is seen kind of as um, you know, uh, you know, the last you know when a when a flame goes out, that last moment before the flame goes out, it oftentimes you know flickers or bursts into a very bright flame. flame. Right. And Hanukkah is kind of seen as that last burst of miracle before the almost seemingly endless night of Gullus, of exile, that we find ourselves in. Um, So that's one thing to note. And so, you know, yes, uh, Hanukkah is a time of miracles. And it's important to pay attention to the fact that when we celebrate holidays in Judaism, they're not merely commemorative. They don't simply remind us of something that happened in history at this time, um but they are indicative of the energy of a particular time of year so yes this time of year is definitely a time of year that has a energy of miracles right as we say Hashem performed miracles in those days in this moment this nexus in time and This is a discussion that we've had a a couple times before, and I don't want to get into it so much. The whole idea of time being cyclical and how you come back to the same X and Y uh, coordinates, but a different Z coordinate, not our discussion right now. Um, But as Ramchal points out, you know, in Derech Hashem, when Pesach is Manchei Ruseinu, Pesach is the time of our freedom, that means it is a time that is uniquely... um, that is uniquely misugal that is uniquely fortuitous, I guess, um, to have freedom achieved. And the same is true for Hanukkah. In fact, if a person forgets to recite Al Hanisim in the benching, right? So during these eight days of Hanukkah, we have an added Al Hanisim prayer that is inserted into the Shimana asray and into the benching. If a person forgot to say them, there is a harachaman that is added on to the end of benching, that is, hu yase lanu Okay. Right? So, in other words, the harachaman is that God should perform miracles just as he did then. So, clearly, it is a time that is miracle-oriented, but... It's important to note that there are different types of miracles and I want to discuss two different types of miracles. What the Ramban refers to, Nachmanides refers to, and this is, you can find this in in his commentary in the end of Parsha's bow. Nachmanides refers to open miracles, Nisim gluyim, and closed miracles or hidden miracles, Nisim Nistarim. Right. And the Ramban says that actually, The function of open miracles is for us to extrapolate and understand that what we take as nature is really all miraculous. Let me give you an example. Imagine you're an alien from another planet, and I come and I bring you to this planet. I'm exposing you to the laws of physics, right? From another universe, I should say. You have different laws of physics, right? I bring you to this universe. And in this universe, I show you that every single liquid, when you cool it down, becomes more and more dense. Right. Right? You know this. Right? Every liquid, when you cool it down, becomes more and more more dense. And that is true about every single liquid in the known universe. There is one liquid, however, which for some funny reason... All of a sudden, when it gets to around 40 degrees Fahrenheit has this weird thing that instead of becoming more dense, it becomes less dense. Now every known liquid in the universe, and the truth is every substance in the universe, when it cools down becomes more dense you learned about this in science back in elementary school about how you know the 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 particles moving more quickly versus the particles moving more slowly and being more condensed and drawn together there is one liquid that that's an exception to and you know what that liquid is why no oh ice floats why does ice float Why does ice float? Because for some funny reason, ice, when it reaches close to freezing temperature, all of a sudden changes and starts to become less dense, right? right? Now, if you were that creature from the other universe, and I showed you this about every liquid except for ice, and then I showed you, and now look what happens with water, you would say, oh, that's a miracle, right? Right. But we take that as totally normal because it's part of the nature that we see. But the truth is, our universe couldn't function in the way, certainly our planet couldn't function in the way that it does without this law of nature. Because if ice was more dense than liquid water, then oceans and lakes would freeze from the bottom up. And kill all the fish. Everything would die. What happens now is things freeze from the top and actually what ends up happening is ice ends up creating an insulating layer. layer allowing everything underneath to remain warmer and not freeze and therefore rivers and lakes freeze only on the top layer. Everything underneath survives. Now we take that as nature, right? Of course. But the truth is that's as miraculous as any anything else. Right. As the chazon ish, Put it he said nature is simply the expression of God's will that is most constant Right God decides that things will be a certain way now. Usually he decides x-way Sometimes though he decides that it should be y-way and it changes. So usually he decides let's say water should flow horizontally, but then he decides when he wants to split the sea that water should flow vertically And so, therefore, water flows vertically. But that's no more miraculous one way or the other. It's just one we're used to and one we're not. Or one is the way he usually decides it to be and the other is not. And Ramban says, the purpose for miracles in the Torah for us is to extrapolate from there to understand that everything that happens in our life is hidden miracles, And in that sense, absolutely, Hanukkah is a time for miracles, because Hanukkah is a time in which we focus on Thanksgiving. You know, if you look at the Gemara in Mesecha Shabbos, which is, interestingly, there's very little discussion of Hanukkah in all of the Gemara. There's one little section, actually, what your father and I are are in the middle of studying right now. There is one little section in Masechah Shabbos that discusses Hanukkah, and, and like um, a side mention of it in Mesecha's Bava Kamah. But there's very little discussion of Hanukkah except for that one section, and the Gemara there says that after telling the entire Hanukkah story about the Greeks, etc., even though it wasn't really the Greeks, but that's a, well, maybe we'll talk about that a little later, but <clears throat> after they had... Destroyed or defiled the temple, and the Chashmonayim came and they fixed it. Um, it says that they established these days of Hanukkah, the Hanukkah, lahodos ulahalal, lahalal different versions of the Gemara, as days of thanksgiving and praise. So, in other words, the whole concept, or if you might say the whole avoda, the work of Hanukkah, our job on Hanukkah is to practice our Thanksgiving muscles. And what Thanksgiving really is, is recognizing those hidden miracles. So I want to take this a step further in the following way. Okay. You know, there's a really interesting um, idea in this week's Parsha, actually. Yosef gets sold by his brothers down to Egypt. And I should give credit where credit is due. This is actually an idea that I heard Rev. Usher Weiss actually does speak about this week. Um, and it kind of planted some of some of this in my head. But Yosef is sent down, is sold by his brothers to Egypt. Now, I want you to put yourself into Yosef's headspace for a minute. Okay, Your brothers, first they were going to kill you. Then they threw you into a pit, which we're told was not exactly the nicest place in the world. There were scorpions and snakes on the bottom of that pit. They pull him up out of the pit. He's hoping he's going to go home. Nope. What happens? He gets sold. He gets sold to this orakas Yishmaelim, to this caravan of Arabs, of children of Yishmael, who are on their way down to Egypt. Now, Uh if you are Yosef, where is your head right now? Probably not in the lightest of places, right? No, probably not. <laughs> so, and then the Torah notes what this caravan was carrying. It was an orchas yishmeilim nosos. They were carrying necho, They were nosos um, nechos utri valot. They were carrying different types of incense to sell in Egypt. And Rashi, quoting the Midrash, notes that. First of all, why does the Torah? Why is it important for the Torah to tell us what they are carrying? Number one, but number two, that is not a typical caravan of yishma Elam. What do the Arabs deal in? Naft. They deal in petrol. They deal in gas. This has been in true. Those days? Yes, um, it wasn't. You know, in the same format. In the same <laughs> format as we're familiar with, but yeah, um, that's what they sold. They sold. Um, combustibles. Now, that stuff does not smell very nice, right? You know, you go to the fill up your car at the gas station, right? You want to make sure your car window is up as much as possible, so right? So you not have to smell. It doesn't smell very nice. And God made a miracle, this is Rashi in the name of the Midrash, that they should be carrying sweet smelling spices, so that Yosef, would have a more pleasurable ride down to Egypt. Now, again, put yourself in Yosef's headspace. Do you give two hoots what the caravan smells like Wait, when you're I'm on your way slavery. down, soul being sold into slavery? And the answer is yes. Because our ability as human beings is to choose what we are going to focus on. Wow. And we can either choose to focus on the negative, or we can find those bright spots in our lives and choose to focus on those. And when we do, we hear the following voice. It's almost like God is saying, I'm right there with you. Because that's what Yosef hears. In noticing the positive, Yosef hears the message from God, you're not going down here alone. I'm right here with you. And you may not understand why it is that you have to go through this experience, and it may be a painful experience, but you are not alone. And that idea of Thanksgiving is what we're practicing on Hanukkah. And so, of course, Hanukkah becomes the time in which we recognize hidden miracles, because that's the skill that we are practicing, it's an opportunity for us to look and find the good in our lives, even in times that seem dark and that seem dreary and that seem difficult. And of course, it's not accidental, as we've discussed before, that Hanukkah is in the heart of winter. Right. I actually was talking to someone today about the weather. You know, there were some flurries today and he was saying, oh, finally, it feels like Hanukkah weather, you know, because that is <laughs> let, it <snow>. <laughs> <laughs> let it snow, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow right? Um, And we are practicing that for the next eight days. But I want to add on one additional element, and that is when we acknowledge or give thanks, there are two components to that. There's a chapter in Tehillim, Perk Kuf Zayin, chapter 108, in Tehillim, which is focused on this concept of Thanksgiving. It's not the one you're thinking of. It's not Mizmar LaToda. But the Gemara in Meseches Brachos learns that there are four types of people who need to recite a uh, Berchas right right? the Thanksgiving Bracha that one makes when being saved from a life-threatening issue. And those four types of people are someone who travels the desert, Someone who travels the ocean, someone who was imprisoned and released, and someone who was deathly ill and was healed. Those four people have to recite Berchus HaGomel. Where do we know that from? From chapter Kuv 107 in Tehillim. Because in there, it discusses those four types of people, and there's a refrain, a pasuk, that is repeated four times in that chapter. Yodu Lashem Chasto livnei adam. They will acknowledge to Hashem his kindness and his wonders to the people, to all people. <clears throat> there's two components to Thanksgiving. One is personal and the other is communal. You know, there's between us and God, we can be thankful. And that's important. Right? That's the first thing. Yodu Lashem Chasto. When we recognize the good that we've experienced in our life, our initial reaction is to thank God personally, in terms of our personal relationship with him. But there's another component, and that is v'nifla'osa of Livne adam. You know, when a person makes the bracha of Hagomel, they're supposed to gather specifically a group of people to recite that bracha, because they're going to acknowledge it aloud in public. And so we thank God not only personally in terms of our personal relationship with him, but also in front of others. We tell over the miracles that we experience in our life to others so that they see God acting in the world as well. Wow. And we say this actually every day in the Modi, right? Um, We say... We will thank you, and we will tell over your praise. And that is halal and hoda, thanksgiving, but also the singing of the praises of God. So to recap, yes, Hanukkah is a time of miracles. It's a time of miracles because it's a time in which we pay attention to and give thanks for miracles that occur in our life. And we understand that what we think is simple nature is really miraculous. And in fact, you know, just to add in another point, there's a very famous question from the base Yosef, Rav Yosef Cairo. Familiar with this question? Why do we celebrate celebrate eight eight days of Hanukkah? Right. After all, it was we're told that we celebrate the eight days of Hanukkah because there was a miracle and the oil that was meant to last just one day burned for eight. Well, asks the base Yosef, that means only seven days were miraculous. The first day wasn't miraculous. It was meant to burn for a day. That's the base Yosef's question. There is actually a sefer Ner which is written with a 100 different answers to this question. But one answer that's given, and the elder of Kelam was very focused on this answer and others, is this Ramban, this idea from Nachmanides. When we see the supernatural, we understand that even what we think is natural is really God working in our life. So even that first day, the very fact that oil would burn even one day is miraculous, is God working mm-hmm. in our life. And so we practice that over the coming eight days or so of Hanukkah. We pay attention to how miraculous our lives are, even in the very simple and seemingly natural elements of it. And we express that both in terms of our personal discussion, so to speak, with God, our personal conversations with him, but also in terms of celebrating it with others. And I'd like to finish with this idea. You know, there's a discussion in the post about <clears throat> whether there is a mitzvah to have a Hanukkah suda. Because as unlike other Yom and Tovim, other holidays, where we know for sure there is supposed to be a suda, you're supposed to have food and drink, Hanukkah... Doesn't seem to have that. And it's brought in the postgame, the Mishneh Brua mentions this in the name, if I remember correctly, of the Mahariel, that so long as a person sings and recites praises of God at the meal that they have on Hanukkah, it counts as a se'udah's mitzvah, as a se'udah that is an act of mitzvah in and of itself as opposed to on a typical Yom tov, where just the mere eating is that. And I think that the idea is this idea, that that is what we are supposed to be doing. And so, you know, we're going to spend time, probably for most of us, over the course of the next eight days, we'll have a meal or two or three together with (laughs) family members and friends, etc. And we should use that time appropriately, I believe, Um, To focus on the miracles that we experience in our life, some bigger, some smaller, some more natural, some more seemingly supernatural. But the more we recognize it, the more full of miracles our life becomes, the closer our relationship with God and the closer our relationship with others in the context of that relationship with God. Thank you so much.